everybody. It is Chris from the Running Rogue podcast here in Austin with Steve Sisson. Hey, Steve. Hello, everyone. We are coming at you today, as promised, with a special episode to give our recap on the Berlin Marathon, the great showdown between Kipchoge, Kipsang, and Bekele that we teed up on our prior episode. So we're going to give you recaps and reactions and perhaps pull in some information you haven't seen if you've been following these results. Plus, plus of course, talk about the women's race, which unfortunately got a little bit overshadowed given the big three going to head-to-head in the world record attempt on the men's side. But there was some there was some you know drama to talk about on the women's side as well. So we'll get to both races. But we're going to start with the men's race, Steve, because that was the primary focus of this race, for better or for worse. And in some ways, it was disappointing because the the big three showdown that we were wanting didn't really pan out. So I'm going to quickly give just a recap on results, and then we're going to talk about kind of our take, Steve. But Kipchoge won, obviously, in 203.32, didn't get the world record, but was only 35 seconds off of it in tough conditions, 57 degrees at the start. And 95 plus percent humidity plus six slick roads made it nearly impossible to, to get a world record effort on the day. You had the marathon debutante Ethiopian Adola, who came in second, just 14 seconds back, 203.46. And then there was a battle for third, but Mesmet Geramu from Ethiopia ended up in third, but significantly back from the top two in 206.09. And our good friends, or those that we follow in the sport, Bekele and Kip saying, DNF'd, <coughs> out, yep. didn't, didn't finish. Kip saying actually stepped off at about 30K, just past 18 and a half miles. And then Bekele, somewhere between, I think it was around 15, that he ended up out of the race after falling back just past halfway from the pace. This race, the men's race, was a battle of really four, five guys, excuse me, five guys from the beginning. You had the big three, Kipsang, Kipchoge, and Bekele go with the Pacers as we expected, but Kipruto, another Kenyan, ended up fifth on the day. And this new guy, Adola, that nobody really had been talking about was in the mix, going for it. And the Pacers went out basically on world record pace through halfway. I think they were at 101.29, so one second off world record pace by the halfway point. So pretty much dead on, even in the tough conditions. But it never really played out between the showdown that we thought. I'm gonna before I kinda get your reaction, Steve, I think the number one message I have from this is that Kipchoge's result will be underrated, I believe, because he didn't get we didn't get the showdown that we expected. He didn't have to fight off Kip Sang and Bekele to the very end. Those guys kind of disappeared and, and didn't really show up, frankly, for the race. He he did have to fight off Adola, but he doesn't quite carry that doesn't quite carry the cachet that that the other two would have. But to do it in the time that he ran it in these conditions with the really truly unflappable demeanor that he showed both pre and during just proves to me that he is definitely and definitively the greatest marathoner of all time. No questions asked. 
but Kaylee and Kip Sang ceded that potential title to him permanently with this with this race. And but I don't think people will quite appreciate it the way they should. What are your thoughts on Kipchoge's victory? We'll start there. Well, you and I, <coughs> we did a little back and forth on this before. We didn't talk about it, but we we I think it was on the social medias. I can't remember if we if I if this happened on Facebook or this happened in texting back and forth. But you know, you stated basically I would be super proud of his uh, running the tangents, and my and I and I immediately posted back. I don't know that I can say that this is his greatest victory. Because I think winning an Olympic gold medal will never be superseded. Um, I don't even think running sub two would have gotten him above what an Olympic gold medal would be. Um, I don't think a world record will do that either. But I would say that this was a, a one that he should look back on if he doesn't already and say um, that was where... A, that was where he proved he was the greatest of all time. Because, I mean, if he weren't the mental, just just the magician that he is in terms of having his prep right and his mind right and everything else, the few, having Adola, having the weather first, then having Adola, then having um, all the questions that happen to athletes who have all that pressure, and then having the unknown throw him haymakers twice in nearing you know late in the race and still bouncing back i i am uh i would say that if anybody ever had a chance to beat him kipchoge in a marathon before this was the chance and um and i don't think he'll be beaten and i think he'll get the world record but i i, I was in i was in I've always been impressed by Kipchoge. I've been a Kipchoge fan for a very long time i played devil's advocate in the run-up of this before the olympic games i was not the devil's advocate. I thought Kipchoge was going to win. I called it and I got it right. I played devil's advocate. I wanted Big Kaylee to have a chance to be the greatest of all time in the marathon, but Kipchoge solidified again. There's only one athlete that I think could even have a chance to beat him. Um, and I'm not sure we'll see that play out. We, you know, we, we will, I'm not sure we will. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know it, but Karui is the only person at this point in time who I think has shown a similar mindset, a similar race plan strategy, and the only person I think could have a shot at beating him, unless he came in un- unprepared. Um, so that's the only person in the, in the, right now on the on this that anywhere that I think could have a chance at him. And I can't imagine him being unprepared physically or mentally. Kipchoge, I mean, he's a class act. I mean, that's, he won't do it. He, yeah, he refuses to give anything less than everything. And you know, I. I felt pretty good about my predictions when I made them, get, you know, and I was surprised that you didn't pick him. I, obviously, you were kind of playing the other side, but but I knew after the press conferences and some of the quotes coming out of there that he was definitely going to win. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was. I th- did too. There was no <laughs> doubt. He said he said winning is not an option; it's a necessity. I mean, that was he's like, guys, this this thing's over. You had that on one hand, but Kaylee on the other hand, saying, you know, it's been raining in Ethiopia. Training hasn't been perfect. I think I'm 90%. I mean, even if Kipchoge believed that he was truly 90% physically, he wouldn't allow himself mentally to even state that. No, and I, I got the chance to watch. I didn't watch the Breaking 2 um, documentary until after I had watched Berlin. Um, and when you see, though, if anybody who hasn't watched uh, Breaking 2 um, and they want to get some insight 
on the kind of athlete that Kipchoge is and how his game is on a complete other level. I had a lot of problems with that documentary in a lot of ways, but just the gift that they gave us to see how he prepares for races and the mindset that he has going in, it was it was really eye-opening um, and makes me want just to get even more information on Kipchoge and know more about is this something that he developed long term from his experiences as a young man, you know, being the best in the world in his event at the age of 19. Um, did he have that skill set to begin with? Is this something, you know, he, he talked in that in that documentary about being a of uh, having one. And they didn't say whether it was his mother or his father, but but growing up with only one parent. And how hard that was, is that part of how he, why he is, or does he have meticulous preparation on top of that? You know, we also got the chance to look at that training log that he put out that showed you how meticulous that preparation is. At least, you know, that, that stuff is always doctored and it's created for other reasons and, and, and it's not necessarily what his training log looks like. But it's just good luck to anyone who wants to get on a starting line and expect to get a victory if they're lining up with Ilya Kipchoge on the starting line. I agree. I mean, to me, he is... And maybe was, but certainly is now like Tiger Woods back in his heyday when people would just literally fall apart if they were paired up with him in the final round because they just knew he was so good. And I think it's now the same with him. It's like those guys, even maybe going into this race the way he was talking, they were probably a little bit intimidated by the challenge of going against a guy who's shown both meticulous physical preparation and just ironclad mental strength. That's intimidating. Well, it's so much different than the intimidation that Sammy Wanjuru used to have on his athletes. Right. Because Sammy's was like like serious Jedi mind tricks. Like, I'm just going to do crazy shit and I can handle anything. I'm a psycho dude, right? Right. He's the exact opposite of what Kipchoge is. And if you see your athlete, if you see your competition as a as as the way Wanjuru was, you can always look for a chink in that armor, right? But good luck with Kipchoge finding a chink in the armor. Um, I do think if Kipchoge did less than optimal preparation, though, would he back out of races or would he follow through? You know, with marathoning, you would never blame him if he made that choice. But I do think at this point in time, that is the one question I would have. And, of course, this is, again, again, seeding. He's the greatest marathoner of all time. And in my opinion, that race was one of the great marathons ever run ever with the pressure that was on it, even though it didn't turn out to be what we wanted. Thank God for, thank God for, for Adola. 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 <laughs> I think, I mean, that would have been the most boring race in the world had that not happened. But I still think at that point we wouldn't have seen, I, I got so much more respect for Kipchoge with his responding, but you know, he, he's the man. That's it. He's I, the man when it comes to the marathon. I do wonder what was going through his mind. You know, if, if you look at the splits, basically, by 35K, they were still... The Pacers dropped out at 30K. They were dead on world record pace. 35K with Kipchoge leading, still dead on world record pace. Between 35K and 40K, they lost about 30 seconds to world record pace while Kipchoge was leading. He then got back on world record pace for the final 2K or so. So there was that kind of blip in that period where Adola did try to make a move and pull away. And, and that's the part where I wonder to what extent was Kipchoge just saying, all right, I'm going to let him go, kind of see how he handles that, and then play my cards later? Or was he really a little bit on the edge and sort of saying, okay, I can't quite go with that. If I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
blow up and I need to save something for the end. I wonder what was going through his mind when Adola pulled away. Although, of course, he was still unflappable because he stayed right on the blue line, ran the shortest distance, and poor Adola was like 15 <laughs> meters off to the left running the long way. Is that picture I saw later really true when he was pointing out to Adola, look, that's he the did. shortest route? He literally so he's literally educating, he's educating his competitor in the context of the <laughs> race itself. He did. And then so Adola still didn't take, that was before <laughs> Adola didn't take the lesson and was off to the left, <laughs> looking over his left shoulder, thinking he'd made the gap <laughs> bigger when... Kipchoge was literally smiling over on the right, being like, that idiot, I'm going to get him. Right. You know, it's like, so I kind of think, in my mind, he sort of let him go a little bit just to see what would happen, but had kind of always had control of that race from, from even behind when that, that yeah, the it, gap that, formed. Yeah, you know, that's a real interesting question you asked there, Chris. I, I would say, I would venture to guess that Kipchoge doesn't play the Batum game. He doesn't play that I'm going to wait and see. I think he was in trouble. And you know, you you definitely see that he was in some form of trouble. Trouble enough not to just respond and adjust. You know, he adjusted to the things he needed to to get himself back to where he needed. He didn't say that after the race, really quickly after the race. It was the hardest race he'd ever run. Um, some of that is the weather conditions. Some of that is, you know, the the, the just the difficulty that goes about, you know, there's been a lot of hullabaloo, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit about whether it was really bad weather or not really bad weather. Um, I ran the Capital 10,000 the first the first year I was a, a, a professional runner, and it poured down rain like five, five to ten minutes before the race started in Central Texas. We hadn't had any rain for a while, and the roads are super slick, and you take a couple turns, and I literally almost fell on my ass two or three times. People who haven't been through that, who haven't had those experiences where your feet go out from underneath you and you slip on stuff, they don't really. And and those things that they put down on that race course, that 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 blue line is as slippery as hell. Some of those turn markers that they have and the and the road markers they have are slippery as hell. And it's not always easy to tell which ones are and they aren't. And maybe if you're moving at this rate of speed at 432 per 435 or 440 per mile that they're running, you were talking about really dangerous, slick conditions that are really scary. I know that that was difficult. And when I, I, I read a few things about people hemming and hawing about it, I was like, come on, you, you guys don't know. And, and you know what? He gave us a good fight all the way. He only backed off when either when he had to or when he needed to protect the win because – he was going to win. He still well, and he still went for it. He, he still went for the world record. He went he for the world record even all the way to thirty-five, said, yeah. all the way to thirty or thirty-five. Even he said he knew at five k it was probably not going to happen. He still went for it. And by the way, as a point of reference, because I'm a nerd and looked it up, it was forty-six degrees in Berlin when Dennis Cometo set the world record. Perfect conditions, no humidity. Right. And he ran a two hundred two fifty-seven. Kipchoge did it in twelve or eleven degrees more plus you know, significant humidity and slippery conditions. And I will say that Adola probably had a slight advantage here. I can tell you having worn Adidas running shoes and that's his sponsor. They have this continental rubber thing yes. they put on the bottom of their shoes. That's like tire rubber. That's mm -hmm. really, really good traction, better than any other brand I've ever seen, especially better than Nike. So he had better traction than Kipchoge. And so had a little bit of advantage there, but point being, I think this was a world record effort for Kipchoge the thing that is impressive, if you look at his finish, you know, he, he kind of got gapped a little bit, 3 to 40K, slowed down about 30 seconds in that 5K, came back his 41st K, ran a 253K, which world record pace is 255K. So he actually <laughs> dropped a kilometer faster than world record pace 
to open up that gap and kind of solidify the victory at the end, even after being a little bit on the edge there. And it just goes to show you, he would not be denied. No, he didn't. He would not. So let's talk about, before we get to Adola, because I think that's a story in and of itself, let's talk about McKaylee and Kip saying, we've kind of gotten some hemming and hawing now from their agents, not from them, about what happened. Talking about cold, wet legs and, you know, Kip saying, to his credit, did at least throw up after he dropped out. That wasn't shown on the U.S. feed, but it was shown on the (laughs) European feed. He was having at least some stomach issues, although his agent said later that he had cold legs, and that's what caused him to drop out. Now, with Bekele, we'll start with him. I could tell watching it from five miles that he wasn't comfortable. He he was all over that pack. He he was kind of yo-yoing a little bit front and back, and so you could just tell he wasn't in rhythm versus Kipchoge. He was like bang on behind the pacers, not moving an inch. And so you could tell that for him, it was probably above his fitness level. And I didn't, I wasn't surprised when he started to fall off about halfway. Now, DNFing, you could argue whether that was wise or not on his part, but I just don't think Bikaley had the fitness. Kip Singh, on the other hand, he looked relatively smooth until suddenly he was out at 30K. And then you get this weird explanation from his agent about cold legs. What do you make of those two and what happened to them in this race? I'm in 100% agreement with you. I picked Bikaley, thought maybe his, his, in his press conference when he said he, uh, he was at 90%. I was hoping it was a rope-a-dope, but I was pretty sure it wasn't, um, mostly just because I wanted to see a great race. Um, and I truly believed, and I think it played out, that even though our, one of our listeners said to us, don't sleep on, on Kip saying, um, I don't, I'm sorry. When it comes down to nose to nose, I'm taking Bikaley over him every time because I just think he's going to know how to race. Now, whether Bikaley is going to be, <laughs> you know, be ready to go on that day, that's something a little bit different. But well, I, I knew you could tell, as you said, in the first couple of miles that he was in deep trouble. He looked a little chubby. Um, he looked, a, and you can't really tell those things when people are in their other gear. You can tell it when they're in their, in their real race kit. And he has a tendency to come off the pace, but that's usually at 25K and 30K. It's not usually happening um, at 5K and 10K, you know. And so I knew that he was out. And then I was really worried, you know, I'd already, I I was really worried we were not going to get the kind of uh, uh, battle that I thought we were going to get. It turned out we ended up getting it, but it came from an an unexpected source. Um, In Kip Sang's situation, you know, I, I think also neither one of these two athletes' um, manager slash agent did them any favors. I think both of them need to be, if if I if they were my agents, I would check him, especially Kip Sangs. I mean, Josh Thomas, he's just a tough. He's a he's he 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 wants to win. He wants his athletes to run well, and and he he's sort of a pseudo pseudo mentor to those athletes as well, in the sense of saying, "But suck it up, Buttercup, get your shit together." And he basically calls out Bikaley afterwards and said, "Quit thinking about your business opportunities. Keep thinking about all these other things you have, and get focused and solidifying your career when you still have a chance so that you can rest on your laurels later." And I wish that that conversation had been had earlier, and maybe it had, but it certainly shouldn't have been had over in a place where other people could have heard it. And if I were Bikaley, I would think about firing him. <laughs> I would seriously no about that. But but he may view him in a role, and that may be the role that they have is in a relationship. And so you, you just say that they'll have to work that thing out. Kip Sang's agent should be fired immediately. 
because it was not cold legs that caused it, and I, I, it was definitely something else. You don't vomit for no good reason. Right. It means that it, that his agent just didn't know. I, that's what I really feel. When I read that, I was like, they're, they're not on the same planet. Either they didn't talk because they already have a problem with each other and they're not really communicating effectively, or or this agent is really still pissed off because he didn't get his payday the way that he wanted. I thought it was interesting. They asked, they asked Kip Sang and his agent, or at least his agent, did he get a payday at at 30k because it's so convenient he goes literally underneath that underneath that barrier of the 30k marker 18.6 miles and he literally stops on the back side of it you see his pacer stop at the same point because the pacer definitely got paid to go to that point and that's right. why he went to where he did so did kip saying drop out i think there's a little bit of not necessarily telling the truth there yeah. it seems real really convenient but i also think it's like somebody doesn't know what the other person's doing and Either way, Kip Sang's agent should have just kept his mouth shut and said, you need to talk to Kip Sang about that. If he hasn't shared that with you, then I don't need to share that with you. So I don't know where that came from. Uh, there was some speculation on Twitter, at least as I was following it, for those that saw him throw up on the European feed, was that apparently he'd adjusted the concentration of his bottles going into this race, had been practicing with a higher carb, higher sugar content bottles to try to give him an extra bit in the race. And so there was some speculation that maybe that just didn't sit well with him on a humid, warmer, maybe, than than ideal day. And who knows? Who yeah, knows? And in the context of watching in that race, Kip Sang was really intent on getting his bottles. I mean, yeah. He was... I mean, he he was definitely honing and looking where they were at, and that you know, as any athlete that runs a marathon knows that that is the hardest thing to get right. And those athletes at that level are moving so fast; it is so crucial and critical to get that concentrate right when it's, when your concentration's off, especially those who are creating their own. So many of our athletes aren't making their own mixes because they can't get to them on the course, so they can't get them. So, for our listeners that don't know what we're talking about. With each elite athlete has the chance to create their own and put out their own bottles in races, and they're in control or their coach or their handler or whoever it is is of of, of d- determining what that mixed and cut concentrate is. And um, anybody that's had a chance to do that, they know that 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 getting it wrong, even in the slightest, can make a huge difference. There's not the margin of resilience or or ability to fluctuate with the elite athlete as there is with um, with the with the everyday runner because they're not getting over the counter product most of the time. Yeah. And unless, it, you're, unless you're a Dola who doesn't seem to give two shits. Yeah. <laughs> and if that was the thing, then it would make sense to me. I would still question the fact that he just stepped off that way without looking to be bothered before that. But if he threw up right away, then maybe his stomach was just turning and not. And we know and how that works. You don't, Kip Sang's not a not a facial guy. You don't really ever see him. We've watched him run a lot of races and be it in finishing straights and, even I mean Kipchoge is sphinx like, but we get some kind of indication on what's going on with him. Um, it, uh, Kip Sang's really good at keeping that poker, not having any idea what's going on. So it could have been having serious stomach issues. That that seems to me to make the most sense for that dropout. Right. Because I don't think Kip Sang's a puss. I, right. I, I kind of said it that way a little bit. I didn't. I mean, head to head, chest to chest, two k to go. The last guy I'm putting my money on is Kip Sang in that in that in that big three in those oh, that big three. So. Yeah, so he still whip my ass any day. We'll (laughs) see. I think it'll be interesting to see if we get another chance in London, perhaps to get at least two of these three players together for another world record attempt. I would suspect Kipchoge would want to go for it in the spring, but we will see. 
So let's talk about Adola. Came in as a 59-minute half marathoner, a, a 27.09, I believe, 10K runner, which is fast, but not like crazy fast to the point of we think you could run a world record fast. And his debut here is the fastest debut ever. Only guy ever to run 203 in his debut. The previous record was Dennis Cometto himself, the world record holder, whose, whose first marathon was a 204 16 so Wait, wasn't there one that did it at boston in the fast year well yeah but that didn't count technically because right. it was down so someone's done it but so but, forth but, but this is the it, first guy on a certified IWA. and anybody course. that was there that day in 11 knows what that day was <laughs> it was yeah, huge tailwind it was yeah it wasn't real right yeah so anyway first official result a uh, two or three or better as a debutante in the marathon and uh, you know to me, the most impressive thing about it is just simply the fact that he went with it. You know, like he had no business on paper running with these guys at world record pace, but he didn't seem bothered by it. In fact, you know, it it just looked like he was he'd made the decision. He was going with it and he looked smooth pretty much the whole way, even to the end when Kipchoge finally gapped him. You could tell it was like he started his head started moving a little bit differently. You could tell that he was his head was kind of going up <laughs> yep. and down. And you're like, OK, he's he's on the ropes. He's done. Yeah. But that was really only in the last couple K. But he kept his mechanics. He, he when he that happens many yeah. times, people fall apart. Right. So mm. how impressive is this from, like, from a rookie marathoner? And what do you expect from him in the future? Well, I, I don't know if you read, did you read the Let's Run article about how much notice he had before he was racing? No. Four days notice. He found out on Wednesday before the race that what? he was running Berlin. Now, that doesn't mean that his agent didn't know, but he didn't know. Now, evidently, this guy has a history. He went to the World Half Marathon Championships in Cardiff last year and did not know until four, three, four, five, six days beforehand that he was going to do it. So it's sort of this guy's M.O. So he is a wing it dude. You know, he and yeah. I would be great friends. <laughs> yeah. He's a wing it guy. But and, and I think that maybe where ignorance is bliss, his folly to be wise, that yeah. a great that Duchess of Malfi quote is really plays out here with Adola. Um, he is the anti Kipsang. I mean, the, sorry, the anti Kipchoge in the sense that l great relative preparation but there was no mental prep here this was hey do you want to run a race literally they said do you want to go run a race in germany and he said sure <laughs> now i don't know if his agent knew better or not but he didn't know better um and he just jumped in with very little prep very little notice very little understanding of what was going on and balled that race like totally huge pendulous nuts <laughs> like I, 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 after I read that, I was like, I have, I've, I've never heard of anything like this before. I do think that there's a little, it's a little interesting as you get a little context. Um, I, uh, the, the author of that article that's on Let's Run, he has been in, he knew uh, Adola through being at his training camps and other things. And so he picked up the phone and called him afterwards and just asked him everything that he was doing. And from all, in, from the article, it just sounds like Adola is just a super laid back, chill dude who's like, let's roll with it. Let's Here see what go. happens. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that begs to question, yes, we will be very interested to see his next races and how he performs and where it goes. But heir apparent, I'd be a little hesitant to put him there yet because um, that kind of a nature gets 
usually a little corrupted once uh, expectations expectations up. Yeah. come up. The, the distractions, the number of opportunities that he has that, to make poor choices. Um, if he goes right back to his, I don't know, you know, sabe nada kind of attitude, then he'll be fine probably. But um, I don't know. I, I just say this. I'm super excited to see him race again. I am not saying he's the heir apparent. I'm just saying he's going to be a really interesting person to watch. But we still have some other runners that are out there on the men's side who we are waiting to see great things from uh, who who, all, who will also be, you know, Quamamore uh, if he can actually get his shit together and get a put together finally a great marathon. Um, there's a number of ones I'm sure we haven't even heard of, but I think Adol is in that list of top 10 marathoners currently but i'm not yet comfortable just because i think he got lucky on a good day and he was prepared to take advantage of the opportunities that were presented to him and he he almost stole the show and almost we'll see we'll see what plays out with that i'm not trying to belittle the guy i have amazing respect for him and i'm really keen on watching him i'm just not quite yet ready to say let's we need a couple more races to see where we're at you know, it yeah. seems, though, that he's this is why he was not at the world championships, why he was not. I mean, they, they, this this then that lends a lot of questions to how Ethiopia selects their teams and what choices they're making. You know, why was Tola in the 10K and not in this race at, at, at the you know world championships? Like what what what's going on with the decision making process that's going on there? to not have their best athletes out. As crazy as it is in Kenya, it seems like it's even more of a who you know and play the game just right um, in Ethiopia, which saddens me to think of how many over the last 25 to 30 years, how many of the greatest athletes in the world who are probably Ethiopian, greatest marathoners in the world that are probably Ethiopian that we haven't seen because of that bullshit. So we'll see what happens with the Dola. I do think as expectations rise... Anything could happen, but you do have to give him credit for for going for it on this one and for getting the time that he did in those conditions. We will see what's next from Adola. I agree with you, though, that he's got to prove a little bit more before we sort of say he's the heir apparent or to the great one, Elliot Kipchoge. He did get a lesson in running the tangent, though, so maybe next marathon he'll he'll run fewer than 26 points. Yeah. We'll or see. Twenty six point three or four, whatever he ended up running. So before we end on a duel, I do want to give a uh, a, a long term forever quote from him that I think will, will won't be. It'll always it'll always be the what I think of him, not from what happened in this race, but it's that the the guy that wrote the article and I can't remember his name, but he wrote the article about about Adola and his prep. He he was running with him, and at one point, Adola came up behind him and slapped him on the back and said, "What the hell, Mikey?" Right. He said, run like a man. So I love that. Like not not to diminish, not to say for women out there that it's, you know, that this is not it's it's just in his culture. What he's saying is step up, stand up, give it everything you have. That sort of attitude that he has, which has a preparation style and a racing style and everything else. The antithesis of Kipchoge. But he probably has that in mind in, in line with him. And to me, true definition of a champion is that right. Like give it everything you have like give put it all out there it's like i know it sounds facile to say run like a man but it it was it's a really great quote and i love it it's it's a way i'm going to think of him always well he definitely ran like a man <laughs> on sunday so one final mention before we jump to the women's race we got to 
Talk about Ryan Vale, American, who finished eighth in a solid top ten performance. He ran a 2.12. So two minutes off of his PR, but he'd had some injuries, kind of been away. This was his kind of comeback race. So it's good to see him back at the t- near the top of his game. Super excited to see him back. <clears throat> he had a he he came in with high goals too. He said he he reached one of his two goals. One was to PR, which was pretty pretty big. It showed what kind of fitness he thought he was in, which also lends a little bit to what the conditions were that day. And I'm just going to say again, I'm not a big, you know, they say the women's the women's race, so many people PR'd, and the men's race, so many people PR'd. Well, I just think that's the conditions of being in Berlin with the greatest in the world all going after and the women's races we'll talk about went out fucking smoking fast. So it's like, yep. there was a, there's some of that that goes with it, but, but Ryan Vale was two minutes off. He thought he was in 210 fitness. He ran 212. We should look at that a little bit. Again, it puts Kipchoge's race in perspective. But the most important thing is Vale's back. And that means that if he can um, string together some consistent um, training again, get in a couple more races, get his leg, get his, get his real, it, it, get his real racing form back that um, we'll be talking about him in 2020. He's not done yet. So, yep. He could be in the conversation for the Olympic trials in 2020. Okay. So, just for the record, I got this one right, at least for the and win. And I got it wrong. So, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm all okay I with won that. The men's I'm totally race. Totally okay with I that. I won the men's race, but you won the women's race. And we went, in a lot of ways, went back in time because Kipchoge won in 2015 Berlin and Gladys Chirono also won in 2015 Berlin. Got back her title this year with a 2020, sorry, a 220, 23 to, to take the win. She was she was challenged for a bit and, you know, really finished uh, relatively close was Rudy Aga from Ethiopia, who had a four minute PR was not even on our radar screens and predictions. By the way, we had had Kabidi both second, but she ended up not starting this race. So so one of our picks didn't even end up kind of playing in the in this in this race. And then Valerie Ariebe, who I had had in the winning position with Toronto in third ended up third. You picked her in third. So you got two podiums correct on this, on the women's race. Really impressive. She, Valerie was only 30 seconds back of the leader finishing 20, 20, 53 with a minute PR. So she also had a PR and then Helen Tola also had a two and a half minute PR. She finished fourth. This race was one of attrition started relatively fast. They came through halfway and in one, 0940 11920 pace sub sub sorry sub 220 pace 21920 pace went out pretty fast not quite world record pace cuz that's pretty off the charts for the women but still really fast and they ended up slowing over the second half Toronto by about 40 seconds and but the battle then through halfway was between four women, Toronto, Aga, Ayabe, and Amani Bariso, also an Ethiopian, who ended up DNFing at about 35K, came down to those last three women. Toronto pulled away and would not be challenged after 35K as she kind of gradually put a gap on. But there was no big move, I would say, from the replays I've seen. It was just she kind of gradually started to put those other women away. Still a fast result, running to low 220s in these conditions. Again, really impressive. Big PR from Aga, who, you know, PR by four minutes. Toronto, she got fifth in Boston, now winning Berlin. 
kind of back on the top of her game at 34 years of age. Talk about your reactions to her race. I mean, <clears throat> the race was a lot closer for a lot longer than you know anybody expected. I, I, I thought, I mean, you'd called it differently. So I guess in a lot of ways, you actually called the race better than I called the race because I thought Toronto was going to put him to sleep. I thought I just thought after Boston she was going to be I, I didn't think that she was going to be able to be run with and there were clear indications her fitness was pretty spectacular going in. Um so the fact that the others kept it close and um I Ayebe is a definitely keep an eye on her she is going to be keep an eye. She's yeah, going to be only somebody. Twenty six years old. We're going to be paying attention to her. You know, but the thing about Toronto is she really only started marathoning at the age of thirty two. She's thirty four now, so you know she's 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 the sort of the, a little bit different than what the Kenyans are doing now, where they usually start them earlier and get them out running earlier from a marathoning perspective. So, I I, I think women's the women's marathon now. In the men's marathon, we've got it's just sort of a foregone conclusion who the very best is. We do not know. I mean, who could you say right now is the best women's marathoner in the world? There's a lot of arguments for three or four different people, yep. and and on any given day, they could beat each other. And they're older, you know. They're 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 even by Kipchoge's standards, he's younger comparatively than many of these top women that we're talking about. So, again, two things that makes me think. I'm going to go back to the U.S. and say I am bullish on U.S. women in the marathon, and I think super excited to see what happens with Jordan. I think Jordan's big race at Chicago coming up is going to be a key thing to pay attention to because um, if she shows, then I think it's super exciting to think about where that's going to play out. But um, I'm just I think women's marathoning is so much closer. They're running comparatively, in my mindset, better races, more depth, better chances at getting the world record, which is, well, it's gone now, but in my opinion, the still world record is 215. I'm sorry. It's like going to always be that way in my head. Um, so I just, I'm excited about women's marathoning, and it, 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 it's, you know, men's marathoning is exciting if Kipchoge's not in the race <laughs> now. Right. But, right. but if, if for women, it, who knows how it's all going to play out? And we've got some young, young women who are moving up both on the women's on the, in the U.S. and at, in the rest of the country, I mean, the rest of the world, if some of those 10K girls we were talking about decide to move up to the marathon, which I'm sure their agents are trying to convince them to do that, you know, it's it's exciting. I mean, and about, I mean, it, there's so much stuff that's exciting uh, about women's marathoning that that's what this played out for me was. I think if we can get over the misogyny that we that, that the sports worlds have. You and I don't have it so much, but we still have it a little bit. Maybe it's because we're dudes. I don't know. But, you know, our athletes that are all into the sport who are female aren't, aren't talking about the women. And I think we should be thinking a little bit more about what women's marathoning is doing right now, how deep these fields are, and how many great races. This race at Berlin was one of the was just a fantastic race from top to bottom, and super interesting to watch. And so I'm interested in more and more of these battles going on over the years as marathoning. And I think we have a chance for marathoning to become something that people pay attention to on the ESPNs of the world. Well, and. I mean, we are at fault here, too, a little bit focusing so much on the men's battle, but the TV feed was focused that way as well. We didn't get to see a lot of the women's race as this one played out. Not until the end do we really get to see the replays of where the moves were made, the end of the men's race, that is. And so that's a little bit frustrating. You know, Seeing Toronto finish 
and almost like wobble and fall over right after she crossed. A little different than Kipchoge. Kipchoge jogged over to hug his coach and Patrick Sang. And then went back and, and then, then went, went back, back out on the course. Like high-fiving yeah. fans. And so he was in a little different state than Toronto, who went all the way to the well to the point of staggering after she crossed the line. And so, yes, it's our fault for maybe not putting this on equal playing field with the kipchoge Bikaley kipsang battle. But you're right. Impressive you know, race. Uh, my, my experience, too, is being a collegiate coach, when you're out there watching the NCAA championships um, collegiately, it's equal. Now, the media play is not equal, but it's equal in the minds of the coaches and the athletes that are out there because you're watching the best compete in the same event back-to-back, one right after the other. Um, and so it's, I, I don't think that I had that viewpoint until I got to coaching collegiately to see that they are equals. In my experience of watching and coaching women racers, I could tell you the best races are always watching the ladies race because they go at it. They go after each other. It's no holds barred. They go from the beginning. They don't play. They don't. They don't run around and play games. They get after it. And in the fifteen hundred and mile, which is notorious on the men's side for being tiddlywinks and then a kick, right? Women still are getting after it. But I, it's a big. I'm. 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 I'm trying to push to say we should all be cognizant and be paying attention to both the men and the women racing because if you're a student of the sport and you're interested in the sport and you're a fan of the sport, just as many haymakers are being thrown on the women's side, they're just as big knockout punches and they're going for it just as much as the men are and the money's the same. The money is the same at least on the finish line podium that they get, maybe not in the appearance fees, but definitely in what they're winning on the on the podium. And so, we should we should do that. Chris and I will be adjusting some of our uh, our commentating about it. But this was a race that just made me so conscious. Later afterwards, was like, wow, what a great race! And we didn't miss it. We talked about it. I, I think we could be a little bit forgiven of the fact that we didn't. Once we have the three best women on the starting line. We, the, we would have been talking about that for sure. For sure. Yeah. So if it we're, we're Kip, still. If it was Kip Legat, Toronto, and Dababa on the starting it line. Would be, we would have been talking would, about it, it just been, as much. So on. in our defense, some yeah. of that was just to do with that. But the field wasn't the yes, same. Yes. Um, yeah. Props to Toronto as well, though, for racing Boston and then coming back to race Berlin. I like to see, even though she didn't get what she wanted in, in Boston, not making the podium, finishing fifth. I like to see the fact that she was willing to go do a race that without pacers, that was all about you know, a more challenging course and, and racing. And then she came to Berlin and where you have pacers and you have more of a time trial type effort. And she still went for it, ran a lot faster time and, you know, and threw her own haymakers at the end, probably learning from a little bit of that Boston experience. And so it's, I like it when you get these high level marathoners willing to do both a Boston type race or a Chicago type race and then do a Berlin and London alternating those things versus just going Berlin to London every year, kind of chasing times. And it lets us get to know them as fans too. We get to see their struggles, their ups and downs and their failures. And you know, fifth at Boston for most people doesn't don't, they don't see that as a fail, but there's no doubt that Gladys thought it was a fail and she rectified the situation, did her training, got herself ready and put herself into the next best position she possibly could to be ready to go. And we all, we all know what that's like as athletes. And we, we definitely tip our hat to those who show resilience and 
the ability to be the rubber ball of bounce back. So there you go. There you have our Berlin recap. I will say also we have to give a shout out to Let's Run.com, our, our favorite running resource online, because they did an amazing job covering this race. They did a killer job. If you go to their website, you can click a link at the top that says Berlin Marathon. It shows you all of their coverage if you want to catch up on any of this. Plus, they have a clip you can click on of the European call of the final mile of the men's race, which is <laughs> just unbelievable it's so awesome. if you didn't watch the race go at least watch that finish and you can see Kipchoge putting the final dagger in in Adola at the end but go check all that out if you want to learn more otherwise of course thank you for listening as always we love that our listeners indulge our our track and field and marathon and geekdom and if there's anybody out there racing this weekend in a marathon good luck to you we wish you the best um, and uh, know that that if you need a little motivation, if you need a little uh, excitement, you've got some races that just happen in front of you for 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 an uplift. Yeah. So, uh, go good read, luck to everybody. Go read some Kipchoge quotes. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Winning is not an option; it's a necessity. Okay, thank you all again for listening. This is Running Rogue special episode on our Berlin recap. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you then.